Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor, bringing you episode two of season two. In this episode, your hosts, Maya and Viss, chat with the co founders of Cecil Earth, Rory Oxenham and Alex Logan. Cecil Earth is a platform that simplifies natural asset management to fuel the rapid development of effective carbon and ecosystem markets. If you're a little unsure of what all that means, like me, then listen on because Rory and Alex do a fantastic job of explaining what it is and why it's important. We'll also learn about their journey to create Cecil and where they hope to take it next. Here is Cecil Earth. Welcome, Alex and Rory, to the podcast. Thanks, Maya. Good to be here. Thanks, Maya. Very excited to be here. Before we talk about Cecile, we would love to delve a bit deeper into your previous industry experiences and connect the dots to why you are tackling such a huge climate problem. Alex, let's start with your story. Can you map for us your journey working in product management at startups, including HeyU and Ordinentum, and about what you learned in being a startup operator at BCG Digital Ventures? For me, uh, my career in product management started purely out of curiosity and got a great opportunity at, at HeyU to become a product manager. I think it, at that organization in particular, uh, had some great fundamentals in building utility into products. We were having thousands of people using the, the app multiple times a day to order coffee ahead. Uh, I think on top of that, the challenge of trying to scale something across Australia was extremely valuable at that early stage of of my career. I moved on uh, from HeyU and and, uh, joined Automentum, and that was a similar but different experience as well. I think at that point, I really got the zero to one experience. I was employee number three or four, and we had no engineering team. So being able to build that out uh, and learn about those challenges of growing a a team, but also, again, building in that utility and and that connection with customers is really important. I think at that point, those were an important foundational three or four years of of my career as a product manager, but was really looking to see outside of the ecosystem in Sydney. Uh, And that's what uh, when the opportunity for BCG Digital Ventures came up, I I saw that as a, a great chance for me to leap outside of simply Sydney and start to work with some of the largest corporates around the world. So we got in a lot of what we call reps whilst I was at BCG, uh, going into many different companies, many different industries, and launched seven businesses in four years. So it was quite an intense period of time. But what I like to think about that experience was the diversity that I got to uh, got to experience through those four years. So diversity of people, diversity of cultures, ways of working and launching products. And that really opened my eyes to many aspects of the world, including some of the biggest challenges that we face globally. Uh, And that resonated with me and and, and particularly climate came out as something that I wanted to dedicate the rest of my career to. So combining those skill sets with some of the biggest problems around the world really set me on the path towards Cecil. 
That's amazing. And I like how you've actually had the opportunity to be exposed to real, you know, big world issues as well while working at um, a large company. So a lot of the time people think you have to be volunteering or doing something with humanitarian affairs to get that type of exposure. Um, so, Rory, you met Alex while at BCG. However, your experiences were more centred around customer experience and in particular renewable energy companies. Can you tell us about your journey and also how you have applied your studies relating to human-centred design? It probably begins with with a love of design that that really started from 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 my family unit. Um, I come from a family full of actors and aspiring directors, and so that creativity has really been at the core of my family and everything I've done growing up. So when I learned through studying Tom Kelly's work at IDEO and and learning that it was possible to be creative in a, in a corporate context. That's really what brought me to, to, to falling in love with, with design and, and really understanding how powerful that could be um, in, in a business environment. And so that brought me to um, straight out of university, um, getting involved in a very early stage startup called SunCrowd. We were on a mission to make renewable energy more accessible um, around regional New South Wales and Australia. So we were running bulk buys for solar panels and, and battery storage. And Essentially, what we were trying to do was educate people on, on, on the benefits of, of storing your power for, for 24 hours a day. And typically, energy, not the most exciting thing in the world. Rarely do you, do you get much engagement from, from that topic. But what we did and where we were very successful as a, as a small team was creating an experience that really um, helped people not only understand their own, own needs around their home energy consumption, but really inspired them towards the, connecting that to a, to a bigger goal, so and climate being a big one um, in, in the renewable space. So that power of design, I really learned and understood that very much so in that, in that first um, in that first startup experience, that the power of a, of a customer experience to, to change human behavior. And that's what really brought me on to the digital ventures where I had an amazing experience and working with incredible people like Alex and, and learning from some incredible product builders. Um, and Alex spoke to, to the repetitions, but yeah, that exposure to different markets was, was phenomenal. And one experience for me was I was lucky enough to, to work on a venture with BCG in Indonesia. Um, and it was my time working there, doing ethnographic research in the field with, with smallholder farmers in that region, recognizing how they were being affected by the climate crisis and, and the plight that, that lay ahead of them over the next 10 years, which was really that trigger for me to, to come to Alex and, and, and for us to have that discussion around, we really need to contribute to this, to this problem and, and the solutions that exist more. So, so thankful for, for DV, for, for everything that they, 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 they gave for us and the experience that we acquired there. Um, but that was really the point in which we, we decided it was, it was time to, to lean into this climate issue. We first started working together whilst in Malaysia and we got sent out to do guerrilla research. And essentially what that meant was to drive around Kuala Lumpur and find out about what it was like to have a, a, a car, essentially. And we tried, a, a, a coined a term called a, a fake down. So we faked a breakdown to experience what it was like to be on the side of a highway in Kuala Lumpur. And yeah, that was a pretty... Uh, yeah, interesting experience. We 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 had some, yeah, we won't go into the details around that experience, but it was something that formed, I think, just a 
intriguing, curious relationship um, between Rory and I and, and something that was always focused around work but could have a laugh together and, and enjoy a beer after a long day. So, yeah, it was there were some pretty funny experiences on that particular trip. I actually found that really interesting because I'm actually from Malaysia and I know like if you if you get your car stuck on a highway over there with the traffic and everything, I know that'd be crazy. So it's really cool how at BCG, you guys were immersed in these like real life practical scenarios. And obviously, um, when a lot of people think they want to get into a startup, they might not think to join a larger business or or say a corporate program. So is that something that you know you guys would encourage to prospective founders? Yeah, I think so. You have to really reflect on 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 your journey, and, and as I described, I think at the point at which uh, I was when when exploring what to do next, it was that exposure to to different markets, different ways of of, of doing things. So it was right right for me at that that point in time. So being able to assess the different attributes that you've been able to build up in certain roles and then look at what what's really going to complement that i think is is so important in progressing in a, in a career and we couldn't have done what we've done the last 12 months without those experiences it's felt very natural being back in a startup itself but that resilience of 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 being very quite a demanding four years uh in a management consulting business i think is uh, yeah, has has put us in a position where we've been really, uh, we've been able to accelerate into what we've done at Cecil in the last twelve months. Yeah, it's fascinating how you've actually been able to test your relationship multiple times, and that co-founding, finding out your best practices, which not many co-founders have the opportunity to do. Um, and I really enjoyed hearing about how you both carved your route to BCG Digital Ventures. Um, but what's unique about now your current startup is that you don't have that safety net of being in a management consulting firm. Um, can you tell us about your decision-making process when you thought about that transition from being within a corporate to launching your own startup? Um, and in particular, maybe highlighting to our audience what transferable skills you thought were most useful. In terms of how we've thought about this, it, it was not a decision I, I took lightly. I was having a fantastic time at, at Digital Ventures and, and continued to learn. And I think from my own experience, having gone from a startup of three people and then into this environment with, with so many other incredible product builders and, and, and minds to learn from, I think that was a it was an environment that that wasn't necessarily one I was I was I was ready to leave quickly. I think for for me that around the decision point that was the 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 the, the real push or or the, the the driving force behind that decision for me was when you just begin to obsess around that problem and having been interested in this space and and climate as a whole and started to explore carbon markets and and the opportunities that were evolving here the problems that Alex and I were beginning to identify at the beginning of that supply chain or that value chain within carbon markets and, and the teams that are working on the ground to restore land ecosystems. Those were the types of problems that I just couldn't stop thinking about. And I think really that obsession with the problem was, was an indicator for me that it was time to, to, to actually make that jump and make that move. Yeah, we, we're all across that how, how startup life has been glamorized by um, TV shows, films, I think, yeah, the, the, the social network definitely had a, a part to play in that. But um, I think we're all aware of the realities that it's, it is an incredibly difficult challenge. 
And so that obsession around the problem was something that I always wanted to ensure I was ticking that box before before making that leap. So for me, that was that was the key reasoning behind the decision. Um, I think just quickly before passing to Al, in terms of the transferable skills, that comfort with ambiguity, having been through those multiple different cycles, um, was one that I think it, I've definitely leaned on over the last 12 months at Cecil. Um, and I think just, Alex mentioned this earlier, but just we were really trained to our core around building and working on products that, that really drive utility and solve human problems. And I think that's something that we've always held very dear and, 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 and reverted back to um, when we're making strategic decisions throughout the last 12 months. So those have been some of the transferable skills that we've definitely sort of tried to, to, tried to bring into this experience at Cecil. Depending on the, the type of environment that you're in, in a corporate environment, I guess we had been through so many repetitions, uh, bringing that up again, and that had developed such a strong resilience. We were working in a very high-paced, high-intensity uh, work environment, and that would go for three to six months. It would end, and then the next day you would be up going again. And we've reflected on that behavior a little bit over the last 12 months. I think it got to the middle of the year, and we looked at ourselves and said, do we get a couple of days off now <laughs> and then start again? So I think it's transferable in the resilience to, to get back up each day, but it's definitely a very different journey as well. And, and uh, I mean, not to quote a sort of uh, overquoted thing, but it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we've probably got a lot of experience sprinting and that intensity and the, the quality that it produced in those sprints were really important for us. But in, in this experience, I think we've need, needed to manage that a little bit and make it more sustainable for the, for the longer 10, 15, 20-year journey that we're in for now. Two key things I got out from there was you guys both had a desire to solve human problems and also how that high pressure and high intensity environment that you guys had at BCG um, really helped you in terms of creating your own business and things like that. So I want to delve more deeply into what the journey was like um, when you guys started and how did you guys start? I think it started a long time ago, actually. Uh, and it's probably three years plus when Rory and I went away for a weekend with another friend and we started to toss around ideas in the climate space. So well before actually making that leap. And that was, I think for us, yeah, it was quite a new space, the climate space. And the ideas that we had really led us to an insight, which was we need to sort of lean into this space a lot more before we decide on making a solution. So we took our time. We started to get involved in initiatives such as Leaders for Climate Action, which is a community of leaders in the technology business. That gave us a, a really good blueprint for how businesses in particular are able to make change and start to transition to net zero, but also just constant curiosity. And we started to lead social impact at BCG while we were still there. So there was just a constant element of, of curiosity. And over that period of time, we started to close in on what we thought was a really exciting opportunity within carbon markets. And we started to Notice that there was a, a one key insight, which is particularly within nature-based solutions, there is a lack of supply today, and that is only going to 
significantly increase over the next 10, 20 years. And that, that insight stays true today. So we had that sort of key signal within the noise of all of the different places that we were looking. And that drove us uh, only further into wanting to speak to more people. So going back to what Rory said before, we had been coached and, and trained almost into a pretty methodical approach as to how you identify a business opportunity. So we were always constantly asking ourselves, what had we learned before? What are the things and the boxes that we need to tick to identify this as a business opportunity and, and really obsess over that problem? So that that led us to yeah, interviewing over 100 people within the space. I think wow. at one stage we were speaking to people before and after work. Uh, we had phenomenal conversations with people that saw the bigger picture. We had challenging conversations with people who didn't really want to know about a BCG consultant getting involved into the space that they were working in. So there was a there was a mixed emotions, but we took a methodical approach to how we were going to approach this uh, and get started. And that was something that I think allowed us to yeah identify a, a real problem and, and very quickly move to being able to uh, provide value to a customer. Just to, to add to that, those 100 conversations, it was it was part of the beauty of, of, of building this out of, out of COVID and, and where we were so lucky is it was normalized the fact that we could be having remote conversations with a, a carbon project developer in Madagascar, um, a, a natural capital investor that's in, in Mackay in Queensland. I think it, we were sort of flying around the world, albeit virtually, to really sort of collect these insights as quickly as we could. So I think that was always very important to us to, to really understand the market, understand the value chain. And that's really what brought us to, to, to meeting these incredible teams that we're working to, to, to serve every day with the Sessa platform having all these conversations and learning more about the carbon market and things like that, how did that shape the core values of CECL? I think really understanding, again, we, we, I realize at times we're, we're sounding like a broken record, but that understanding of customer and problem has always been at the focus. And I think we've really built our values around that, that understanding of the customer in particular, the, the teams that we're looking to support. So I think one of our, one of our values that we that we really call out to and really sort of make clear to, to any new team member at Cecil is, is our goal to help the helpers. Um, we're really here and united by responsibility to, to help the teams that are out there working to protect, restore, um, and invest in nature. And the idea is so, so nature can begin to restore us. I think that's really, that's a value that we have always held very dear to Cecil. And I think it really comes to that initial excitement that Alex and I had when we found these incredible teams that had been underserved by existing tools, were really struggling to, 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 to actually deliver these projects end-to-end -end, and were looking for support. So I think everything that we're building around the business sort of very much relates to that initial problem and, and customer that we're looking to, to, to create value for as, as, as our business scales over time. A lot of the values as well around the, the organization and the outside of just the customer and, and how we've set things up, have come through the yeah the the environment that Rory mentioned earlier, which was remote. So we are a very remote team now. We're a very diverse team, and I think that if anything, the environment within COVID has pushed us to and pushed our boundaries to think about what's possible and how we're going to solve problems as a team. So I think that yeah, that's that's definitely come out strongly in the the way in which we've we've grown over the last 12 months and something that yeah has really become a 
I, I guess, a, a strength in our armor over the last 12 months is how adaptive we've been to bringing dif- different people into the team and also solving problems. I think that whole idea of being adaptive and the whole concept of remote working and building a business during the COVID time, I think is super interesting. For Cecil, um, what has been the key lessons or takeaways in the past year or so in terms of building the business and and what you've seen and the market and things like that? Finding the right co-founder and finding the right person to do this with. So if we can touch on that, I think that particularly uh, with this remote nature, not being able to always be in the room with someone or with a team, uh, our relationship uh, that we've really invested in, we catch up every Monday with uh, Founders Forum, which is a, a space, a safe space for us to get really vulnerable as a as a couple or as our relationship sort of has blossomed over the last 12 months. And we've used many different abstract tactics and psychology from relationship management to, to invest in us as a team. Uh, and I think that that has uh, manifested into the sort of environment uh, and, and spread across the team that, that we've created. So I think that there's a huge focus from, from, from our side to, to really invest in our relationships um, and, and that's built up a lot of trust, which means that uh, the fact that our team is a 24-7 operation, seven days a week around different parts of the world, we have engineers in Estonia, Spain, the US, and also India, and then a team that's growing in Sydney. And obviously, Rory at the moment is in Edinburgh. So that is really uh, manifesting very quickly into uh, pretty phenomenal uh, opportunities for us as a team to be very efficient. But I think most importantly, the reason that it's possible is because of the relationships that we've built with each of those team members. Uh, So I think yeah, there's there's many tools that we can mention. There's many practices and processes that we can mention. But a lot of what I believe it comes back to is that co-founder relationship and how that's spread across the team and the values that we have. In in terms of thinking about the just yeah those key lessons that probably I've I've taken most from from the journey so far is I think twofold. The first thing that that really comes to mind is is that importance of of being mission driven. I think that's something that I think goes without saying in this day and age, but just so vital. There are days when the going really does get tough. Again, recognize I'm just pumping out cliche after cliche here, but um, I think just being able to lean on that mission and one that inspires you that there's purpose to actually, that not only is inspiring you to get out of bed every day, but also the team that you're building around you, I think is absolutely vital. So I think that's one key takeaway. And I think we definitely have that at Cecil of, 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 of in those moments, really recognizing that that mission is, is really something that, that drives us forward. Um, I think the second one, I think, is, is around the importance of that customer and product product in that first year or early stage of the startup. Just really those two things are absolutely critical to focus on at all times. And I think we've done that quite naturally and, and been really lucky with our early customers who have been so welcoming in bringing us in and really walking us through where their where their real problems are to solve, and they've been great thought partners as we've as we built out this platform. So I think that priority on customer and product in those early stages before getting lost between sort of partnerships, BD, um, that's really been something that I think has been um, a great focus for us in in the early stages of, of the business. 
I guess on that note, um, how did you guys sort of talk about your idea um, about valuing more natural assets with your customer base? And how did you sort of demonstrate that? So we took a pretty structured approach to understanding the problem from our customers. And we also framed it in quite a, uh, in a way that uh, wasn't too sort of alarming or didn't feel like it was getting too confronting. So we framed a lot of the work that we did at the beginning as co-creation work. Uh, and that enabled us to be able to, to build trust with, with these, uh, these teams that we were working with and also just better understand and invest our time. Was it quite a trade-off, right, of time? These, these teams are really busy. Uh, we're also looking and being quite demanding to understand what their problems are. But I think um, if you can strike that balance, particularly early on uh, within uh, the, the evolution of your business, to really find those trade-offs and find ways in which you're adding value, even if your product isn't live yet, then that's something that teams are always going to buy into. So I think there was that that co-creation process was something that allowed us to deliver value whilst also delivering value internally to understanding what those problems are. So the types of processes that we did there was uh, setting up interviews, then also sending emails with those insights back to, back to the team so that they can understand, hey, well, this is what uh, this team member was saying about this part of the process. So you're, you're finding constantly trade-offs to be able to enable both you to gain from the conversation, but also your early adopter customers. Uh, and that's continued. And, and that relationship that Rory in particular has developed with that early set of customers is, is really powerful and really strong. And that's continued at, uh, out of that co-creation phase into having a live product over the last six months. And we're constantly engaging with different team members uh, in various different ways through Intercom and the the vibe, I guess, between us and our customers has been quite strong to date. Again, just the, the voice of the customer being absolutely vital and and every every moment that you can or every way in which you can amplify that voice is, is setting yourself up for success. So for us, of course, that's been with our early partners who have, who have collaborated with us and, and sort of really opened the door as to these are the problems that are most important for us, for you to, to go out and solve, but also in sales conversations and conversations with other players in the market. I think those are all different categories that sit within one voice of the customer that we work to then prioritize those insights down into eventually a, a roadmap that can, can deliver value through, through, through the tools that we're building. So that, that voice of the customer is, is multifaceted um, across a number of different categories. Maybe a, a, a journey that, that I could take you on in this conversation as to how we have gotten to where we see the world uh, operating in 10 years' time is to start with and, and recognize the current state and also what has been uh, going on over the last 20 years. Carbon markets themselves have, have been around for over 20 years and ridden different financial crises, uh, different uh, sort of commitments that people have made, but we've seen a huge transition in the last 12 months particularly within carbon, due to the net zero commitments that are now made towards 2030. So there's a real 
uh, anticipation around and expectation around what people are actually going to do and the action behind those commitments. So I think that's one thing that's that's certainly changed, uh, and that's brought a lot of rigor and a lot of opportunities, uh, almost an overwhelming amount of opportunities to bring a lot more standardization and, uh, and yeah, standardization to carbon markets and particularly natural assets within carbon markets. But I think that's really just the beginning for these markets. And, and we typically describe the, the category that we are operating in as, as natural capital. Uh, so going beyond simply the ecosystem service of, of carbon markets and looking at valuing other parts of nature. So whether that be biodiversity or even looking at different assets themselves. So typically at the moment, some of the more dominant markets within carbon are forestry, agricultural land. So I think even moving into just today, it was announced that there's a methodology around mangroves and blue carbon within Australia. So I think certainly uh, for us, uh, it's a it's been quite a journey for those markets. And we see a future where global natural capital markets are going to be uh, worth over a trillion dollars in 10 years time. So uh, being able to connect the dots between where we are today and the sophistication around carbon markets, but then also being able to uh, recognize and, and, and communicate uh, very quickly how that's going to accelerate into much more uh, a, a much larger market around the world, and some of those different ecosystem services certainly is a multifaceted journey to take people on. But it's something that uh, I think when starting a business, the timing is everything, right? So you need to get on the the wave at the right time and and ride the wave. And and we certainly have a lot of conviction around the momentum in these markets beyond just carbon uh, and and where that's going in the future. One element at the core of Cecil has always been our belief that, you know, one of the core reasons that we are um, fast approaching these environmental tipping points to date, um, loss of wildlife, habitats, entire species, um, is because we haven't been able to properly quantify or, or, or value the importance of, of our ecological systems. And so recognizing those and the intrinsic value of those ecosystems, wetlands, soils, forests, is going to be absolutely critical um, if we're going to sustain our, our current way of life. Um, so that's why I think Alex just spoke to those new natural capital markets that are evolving, that reward these ecosystem benefits. Because I think why we're so excited to work with the teams that we work with every day, uh, they are really the pioneers that are laying the foundations for these markets. And really, I think showing the rest of the world that nature is worth a lot more to us alive than it is um, destroyed. And I think that is something that really inspires us as a team and and gets us very excited about this problem that we're solving. Do you mind just touching on what exactly is a natural capital market? So I think the 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 most mature market out of the ones that I've mentioned would be the the carbon market, uh, and that's been operating for for some time now. And there are many different uh, iterations of carbon markets, and that's one of the challenges is that it's not standardized globally. So. Uh, as a as a bit of a mental model, you'll have uh, within carbon markets a, a, a buyer and a, and a seller. So it's a typical marketplace. And on the buyer side, the reasons for buying carbon may be to uh, hit a net zero commitment, or there are uh, trading uh, of carbon assets uh, going on uh, in, in a marketplace as well. So you could be there's many different aspects to who might be on that demand side. 
And they typically form into two different types of markets. So a voluntary market, which is private organizations who might be making a net zero commitment themselves, uh, or it could be a regulated market, uh, which in Australia, we have emissions reduction funds or the ERF. Uh, and that is a, a regulated market here in Australia where uh, ACUs are traded uh, in the Australian market. So there's a lot of different manifestations on, on the demand side. And, and that is also true for, uh, for carbon markets on the supply side. So you can have carbon credits for various different things. For, for us, we are highly focused on net natural assets uh, as carbon credits. So focusing on soil carbon credits here in Australia within agriculture, also vegetation, but then forestry overseas. So that shapes up the, the carbon markets. And uh, what we see and what we um, have strong conviction on is that those carbon markets are one market um, that will, will exist in the next 10 years. And there will be other markets that exist for other natural capital assets. So valuing things more than just a ton of carbon and actually valuing the biodiversity um, on that land and on that asset. Just going a bit deeper on those natural capital assets as a whole, um, these can really vary from you know, sustainable and regenerative agriculture and farming practices, um, timberland management, aquaculture, sustainable water production, um, ocean-related investments. It's really sustainable fisheries. These are the types of things where we're seeing um, investment vehicles and mechanisms being set up around to support, um, enabling investors to actually direct more private capital um, into the funding of these natural assets. And so, of course, these assets might already be providing a return on investment through their sort of baseline and current operations. So, for example, um, an investment product around timber, that is one sort of core element that's coming out of that asset. But then at the same time, within, a, within the same example, you can be um, setting part of that forest for, for conservation purposes that lead to carbon sequestration that, that can create carbon credits as a whole. So that's the type of, of ways which we're seeing these natural assets being quantified um, in, in lots of different ways and, and returns being extracted for the, from those in, in, in multiple multitude of different ways. Um, and we're seeing that already. I think biodiversity credits are just launched in Queensland with the Land Restoration Fund. We're seeing reef credits in, in that region. Mangrove reforestation, I think, is, is something that we're really excited about and a lot of developments happening all over the world. So these are the types of new asset classes that are that are appearing um, that we're really excited to, to support with the, with the Cecil platform. On the topic of trends as well, we've seen a very critical shift on the focus of offsets um, to nature-based solutions. But the current market infrastructure for global natural capital um, lacks integrity. And this is where you come in with your startup. Can you tell us about the market opportunity you identified and what is the climate problem that you are trying to solve simultaneously? I think just fundamentally, if um, and, and when we sort of looked behind the covers at what was going on in the supply side of this market, uh, they, the, the actors on, on the supply side, so the people who were actually working on these projects were extremely underserviced by technology. And there has been a real need for simply digitization of their processes on the supply side that will, uh, as we have seen in many different markets around the world, immediately increase the integrity of the markets just by bringing things online. So the types of stories that we were hearing six to 12 months ago was a lot of spreadsheets 
uh, not fit for purpose tools. Uh, and typically the, the stack of someone who works on these projects is they have their spreadsheets, they have maybe something like Asana, and then they'll have a, a GIS system. So in itself, their, their, their stack internally was quite fragmented. And the challenges that that creates are, are not surprising to all of us who have had to try and manage things in between tools. So the first problem that, that we have looked to solve is to bring all of that information online and, and standardize or structure it in a way that they're more efficient and we're unifying their information. Because inherently, once that's completed and, and once we've achieved that, that will start to standardize a lot of what is happening on the supply side. And it becomes an important data feed for what these markets will be over the next five to 10 years. So we've actually taken a, a, a long step back um, in many ways into just digitization of the supply side of these markets to bring it up to a standard that allows it to, to scale and allows it to have the transparency that it requires. At this stage, if you were to um, potentially say if you booked a flight with Qantas and, and you chose to offset those, uh, those, uh, that, that flight um, and you asked to know where that had been offset, even if it was a nature-based solution, um, it would probably be pretty hard for you as an individual to figure that out. And, and people that are, um, if, you, if you sort of multiply that by a corporate making an investment into uh, millions of dollars worth of um, natural assets, um, that sort of extrapolates how much um, importance uh, is, is is placed on on that natural asset and, and having that transparency and being able to see the the improvements um, and the and the carbon capture that would be uh, I, I guess occurring uh, on that land. So so for us, I think that yeah, we've taken a a really um, sort of pegged back approach into digitization, but we're already seeing that. Um, make huge improvements within the customers that we have and also start to uh, engage and, and also um, have people demanding for the information that, that's within our platform uh, because it's now sitting in one place. We've we've recognized, I think I read recently that um, the World Economic Forum called out that transitioning three major sectors of the economy onto nature positive pathways um, could create $10, $10 trillion worth of economic growth and 395 million job, jobs by 2030. So there's a huge opportunity here that, that's evolving around these, these types of markets. And I think what Alex just spoke to was, was Cecil's intentions to really build that underlying operating system that is going to streamline the collaboration between the various different players. So whether that's an originator that's actually working to, to set up and protect that land ecosystem, there are, there are elements of, 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 of ensuring that on the platform they can manage their tasks, they've got a place to do reporting. It's to ensure that the, those nature-based projects that they're originating are, are managed end-to-end -end through div digitizing the project lifecycle, which, which Alex just spoke to, but at the same time ensuring that transparency and collaboration with teams that are investing in these types of projects, um, teams that are actually working on the ground, so perhaps a land manager that is working on a, on a, on a forestry project day in, day out. So it's really that collaboration across the ecosystem that we're looking to deliver um, with, with, with Cecil. Collaboration comes up quite a bit in our conversation and it also is your approach in building this great um, product and platform. Um, and when we talk about, you know, your customers as well, uh, are they developers or landholders or who are they primarily? 
So to date, Maya, it's a great question. I think to, to date, the, the early adopters of the, of the tool have been carbon project developers, um, incredible teams that have got industry expertise of, of setting up and managing nature-based projects. They've been the, the, the early teams that have seen instant value in, 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 in using Cecil. I think where that extends to is, is the teams that they're working with that are funding a lot of these projects as well. So having those teams starting to log into Cecil access transparency, dashboards as to how the projects are actually operating and being run, um, is that next extension and next wave of teams that are starting to, to, to access a lot of value from, from the platform itself. So really, we're super excited to be servicing both, both that origination and investment side of, of the ecosystem. I think moving forward, we're really interested to explore different trends and themes that are emerging around um, Lots of different project developers that are that are coming to this space. So almost the longer tail of teams that um, want to get involved in originating projects and and finding ways to to support their needs, um, as well as a whole range of different archetypes of, of teams that are looking to to engage in this space. Um, and so I think that's you're absolutely right. Carbon project developers have been that that early adopter, but we're seeing um, the types of teams and and their goals really really expanding as, as, as we grow as, and scale as a business. And on the topic of um, carbon, particularly when you've already spoken about engaging in the carbon markets, how do you actually incentivize you know, your customers to reduce their carbon emissions through regenerative, regenerative land management and not solely through just buying up carbon credits? For me, taking a, a step back and, and looking at... Uh, what I see as a massive trend at the moment uh, within the the global corporate world uh, is that this conversation about being nature positive, net zero, is the number one conversation at every board meeting right now. And it's at the top of the list of the agenda. So I think that in itself uh, is having many knock-on effects to this industry, one of which uh, have a few friends that work at TPG in the US or work at uh, Rock here locally in Sydney. So very much investment analyst firms who are tearing down and looking through these different frameworks um, around ESG and particularly nature. So that is, I think, a really strong signal that beyond simply uh, being able to buy credits uh, or simply not being able to transition your supply chain into a much more uh, or reduce your emissions across your supply chain and hit science-based targets is not going to be enough anymore because people are going to be looking at this through a, um, a magnifying glass. And, and people, in the same way that we used to look at business models and look at how PL was going, we're going to be looking at ESG. Um, and, and as part of ESG and net zero commitments, nature is going to be an incredibly important part of, of that conversation. So I think that uh, we don't need to do much uh, ourselves uh, in asking our customers uh, as to how they should uh, be transitioning into these more sustainable, um, sustainably, uh, sustainable supply chains. Uh, in fact, uh, it's a market force that we're actually seeing as an external force that's pushing people into, into this space uh, through that transition and the incentives at that, that board level. So I think yeah, just spoke to that broader vision around becoming that operating system for natural capital. And so the platform is 
currently sort of two twofold. Um, the first is really that side for teams that are working to originate these nature-based projects, giving them tools to, to, to simplify the setup and management of, of those projects day in, day out. So how that manifests from a feature perspective, um, a place to manage tasks and reports that are required to ensure that these projects remain compliant with the various different methodologies that they're following, um, geospatial visualization and data management to ensure that they've really got a clear view of what is happening on the ground, both at a project and a portfolio level. And I think, of course, uh, the key, we spoke to the theme around collaboration, but making it easier to, to share those insights and, and bring your stakeholders into the platform as well. So um, restricted platform access for investors, for land managers to view the project information that's relevant for them so that they can access greater transparency as to how the project is, is, is moving from, from A to B. I think that's really on the origination side for, for the teams such as investors that are funding these projects, a really critical stakeholder. I think in the past have, have been frustrated by, by lack of transparency and access to insights around how those investments are, are developing. So giving them dashboards, project summaries to ensure that they can track KPIs around the project, um, KPIs related to performance, but also risk. I think that's a really critical piece. Um, these natural assets I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll go through um, some quite severe weather events in, in, just through the very um, case of the fact that we're, we're dealing with, with a very rapidly changing climate. So there's a lot of risk involved and we're, and we're looking to deliver that transparency and insight to, to investors to ensure that they feel comfortable with, with those investments and ensure that more capital is flowing into nature over time. How do you prioritize the feedback process um, and, and how do you break down problems that come as a result of feedback? I typically use a, a mental model. For those of you who can't see me, I'm going to move from, from left to right uh, as, a, as a product cycle sort of progresses. But at the, the very top of, of the funnel for a, for a product lifecycle, you have many different inputs and we look to maximize the amount of inputs that we bring into that product lifecycle. So that can come from, so we use a tool called Intercom, which is just a customer feedback tool that pops up and, and is easily accessible for our customers who are in the platform. Uh, we're also using insights through qualitative research. So Rory spends hours still on the phone with, with existing customers to get feedback and, and test things. But then we're also through our sales cycle, um, Fortunately, Rory is a lot more diligent than me, and he's taking notes through all of those sales calls. So we've got many, we have many different inputs from many different customers, and I think our curiosity to speak to as many as many teams as possible over the last twelve months has given us a wealth of insights uh, to be able to push that down into uh, a more of a, a design process uh, and a prioritization from insights into an actual design process, looking at the experience, where things fit in, uh, if it's going to be in the application, how do we we bake that into the, um, the the user experience? And then it goes into actually building the product, uh, the life cycle of shipping that out to customers, and it goes full circle once it's into their hands. So that's a particular, I guess, highlighting all of the different inputs at the upfront, uh, and then how that streams down constantly throughout that process as well, checking in with our customers to test things um, is, is how we sort of take on, on customer feedback and, and bring that into the life cycle of our product. I've heard of Cecil stories and um, from what I gather, it's just a way to sort of document 
what's been happening at Cecil for the past couple of months. I just want to get more of an insight to that and how you plan to build that community in the future. So it came out of, in fact, a, a need for us to, to keep stakeholders up to date. So the very origination of this, and I would highly recommend it, is if you're starting your own business uh, as, a, as a startup, developing long-term relationships with partners and if you're going down the route of investment VCs from a very early stage. Uh, and we were sending these as updates to uh, different stakeholders that we had uh, from that, that, that point in time, uh, almost six to eight months before we launched the product, to give them regular updates on our progress. I think what, what it has uh, turned into as a strength of ours is more building in public I think just to just to add to that too is is the the, the second half of, of Cecil stories beyond just the the, the climate tech and the, and the team element itself is is really related to those teams that we're working with and and championing and and humanizing those stories as well. I think that's another core um, focus area for for Cecil stories. I think one reflection on on climate as a whole is is we've been focusing on the problems for a very long time. Um, I think we're aware that. Um, in that quite negative framing around climate, a lot of people um, almost shut down and, and freeze just through being overwhelmed or overly anxious through, through the issues that are coming our way. I think one way of solving for that is, is really focusing on those solutions, humanizing the problem, humanizing the subjects of the people that are actually getting involved in, in solving that issue. Um, and that's another area that we're really excited to bring to life um, in, 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 that part of, in that part of Cecil through, through the stories that we're telling. Just on the note of the future of the startup, can you share with us a bit more of your future vision for Cecil? I can go with the more operational side of things uh, <laughs> because that comes naturally to me. And I think Rory jump in with uh, more probably the, the longer term view. But but yeah, at the moment, uh, it's been a phenomenal journey over the last 12 months and we'll have some really exciting news around uh, some funding soon, but uh, that has really uh, manifested out of building a team and, and something that Rory and I have been extremely passionate about. We actually had our first all hands last night and almost got to the point of being emotional with, with having two digits worth of, of people on that call, which was really exciting. So a huge focus over the next 12 months on our team and building that team out to accelerate our growth. And yeah, we are hiring at the moment. If you want to check out the, the website at, at some stage, anyone listening for, for various different roles. And I think also just expressions of interest, people who are looking to make either the transition or are looking to take their skills from university and, and, and take that into straight into a startup. I think we'd be more than happy to, to sit down for a coffee and understand how that might be possible. So for us, a huge focus on, on team and, and that's going to accelerate both the development of the product, but then also start to ramp up on the customer side and sales. In terms of the, the vision that we see within Cecil from a platform perspective, really continuing on this mission that we've set ourselves to, to make it really easy for, for teams to protect, restore, and, and invest in nature. I think we spoke to this earlier, but we see Cecil as, as, as delivering the infrastructure of these emerging natural capital markets and really want to support our teams as these markets begin to mature and scale over time. So that is always going to be the focus. I think that is where we are absolutely 
committed to, to delivering value is, is, is almost guiding and navigating our teams through these markets as they emerge. Um, it's a really exciting time, but it's there's so much change happening every month. Um, you just need to, to read read news in the in this area just to see how fast that change is, is happening. So to 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 give uh, those teams tools to to, to, to guide them through that process is absolutely the focus for us. Um, I think we, yeah, we want to make it as natural to, to give back to nature as, as it has been for taking nature for granted. And I think that's really our core focus over the next 10 years and, and beyond. Wow. We were just so excited to, you know, be and interviewing you at this stage and then we'll see you back in a year's time and see how much you've grown. Um, thanks so much for sharing all about Cecil and your journey and actually inspiring us immensely about career paths and also having the grit to jump out, take a leap of faith and do something that's good for the world. Um, it's it's truly inspiring. I think uh, Vis and I are both, you know, looking to make an impact in, through Greenfluence and one of the greatest things is being part of this community of people that really do care about other people and where the world is going. Um, and we just have restored faith now that we've heard exactly what um, you're doing with your startup. Um, so let's move on to the speed round of questions. And we'll keep this super short because we're running out of time. Maybe just one quick response each. Um, so or you definitely have to take the the book one. I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> well, Rory, what is your book recommendation, and you know who would you follow to learn more about this space? But this was this was a tough one because the the list. I know it's a speed round, but the list was long. Um, <laughs> so excited to 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 investigate and learn more about this space. Um, day after day. But for me, Paul Hawkins' book, um, Regeneration, is, I think, a fantastic um, new way of, I think, mobilizing principles that can help us um, create a better future for, for ourselves on this planet. So I think anyone that's looking for a guidebook of, of key principles around regeneration and, and this new theme of, of incredible solutions that are emerging, I think that is, that is a great starting point. The second question, what advice would you guys give to your younger selves? Stay curious, uh, take big leaps, uh, and and yeah, back yourself to to make a difference. For me, I think just that collaboration theme comes back. Um, we've learned so much on the incredible teams at at BCG at previous startups, and so not only within the space around climate, we're just seeing collaboration being such an important aspect of this of this industry. So embrace that collaboration wherever possible. What would you advise? Um, in relation to career opportunities in climate tech, think about the the skills that you have, not so much the um, the, the the department or the company that you might work for. Uh, that's the way in which I think we'll solve this problem. Is we need many many different skills, and you'd be surprised at what might help. Uh, I've seen a lot of people on on along the journey who have got very diverse backgrounds, uh, and they can all contribute to uh, a better future tomorrow. So I think yeah, be open to skills um, and, and allow those to solve problems. Absolutely. I'd love to just plug here as well. There's some incredible communities that are building, especially within the Australian climate tech ecosystem. So Climate Salad is a fantastic place if you're looking for experts, looking for advice of, of how to get more involved in, in the Australian climate tech scene. Um, but there's just so many opportunities. Alex mentioned Val. 
we're, we're so privileged to be connected with, with startups in waste management. There are so many interesting teams coming up with fantastic solutions. So um, please do explore and, and see what really lights you up, what excites you. Um, and of course, couldn't miss this opportunity to, to say that we're also hiring at Cecil. So um, that door is always open. We'd love to hear from, from anyone that's interested in, in supporting those teams throughout their restoring and, and protecting nature. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be quite a few of our listeners who'll definitely be keen on that. Um, and next question, what is one emerging unnatural capital trend that investors need to know about? I think going back to the point that this is a board level conversation and you need to, the incentives are there now uh, and it's time for, for action. For, for me, just focusing on more of a natural asset class, but just around blue carbon and what's happening there. I think um, I get teased at Cecil just for being a, a mangrove. Um, yeah. I, freak was the word I was going to use, but I think just get over enthusiastic about their potential. They're carbon sequestration machines. And so I'm so excited about what the future holds for, 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 for blue carbon in particular. So final question, uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about Cecil and yourselves? Cecil.earth is the <laughs> place to go. Uh, you'll, you'll see, I think, in the next couple of weeks, we do have a lot of things on Notion, which has been very valuable. Uh, so Cecil Stories actually exists on our Notion, but you can get there via, uh, via the um, Cecil.earth webpage. And then we're going to transition that more to a... Uh, uh, a, a native uh, blog blog page soon. So head there, you'll be able to find things, um, click through, reach out. I think if you land on the page, like my face will pop up and say hi. So feel free to reach out at any stage. We're also also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, follow us there too, if, if, if that makes sense. But I think just as this is the last question, just also wanted to take the time to thank you all. I think what you're doing at Greenfluence is, is so needed. I think we spoke to the, the importance of humanizing solutions, but storytelling is such a critical part of that. And I think what you're doing in amplifying different people working in this space and, and their stories and solutions is, is so vital. So thank you so much for having us today. Um, we love the work that you're doing um, and really appreciate you having us on. It's been, it's been a pleasure to have you both on board. Um, I think learning the whole process of Cecil and how you guys got together and and also just like not only learning more about um, in terms of carbon markets and then learning and learning in terms of natural capital, but also that whole startup journey, which I think you guys have done really well in combining both. And I think, I think your passion for solving problems is so evident and definitely a lot of things that our listeners and I'm sure ourselves are definitely inspired by. So wanted to wish you both like all the best of success. And as Maya said, we'll be keen to hear from you in a year to see all the amazing stuff you guys are up to. And thank you so much for being part of Greenfluence and we really appreciate it. What did you think of Cecil Earth? Alex and Rory have such a cool origin story, beginning by tackling those guerrilla-style research projects in Malaysia to creating Cecil Earth, where they are really trying to scale up those natural capital markets by helping teams restore nature. Their approach to truly trying to understand the customer stands out to me as well as their circular goal to restore nature so that it can restore us. Some amazing and very inspiring work by the team. Thanks again to Alex and Rory for sharing your insights and experiences with us. 
If you'd like to learn more about Cecil Earth, please check out their website on www.cecil.earth, which is also where you'll get access to their Notion pages and all their info. Links are in the show notes. And we'd also really love to hear from you here at Greenfluence, so please get in contact with us on Facebook and LinkedIn to join our Greenfluence community. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with the latest episodes and we'd appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. It means a lot. Well, that brings us to an end of episode two. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.